0: If you would take your Bibles and return to uh, the book of Leviticus, we'll be looking at Leviticus chapter 3 this morning. Leviticus chapter 3. Father God, as we turn to your word once more, we... Pray that we would find profit in it, as all of your word is profitable. You tell us that, and we know it is true, but Father, sometimes, for whatever reason, the fault always lying within ourselves, sometimes, Father, there are portions of your word that we do find difficult. But Father, there is glory in your word and in what we are about to see here in Leviticus chapter 3. May your spirit open our hearts and our minds to receive that which you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Leviticus chapter 3. Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, if he is going to offer out the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood around the altar from the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys, with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall offer it up, and smoke on the altar on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it, male or female, without defect. If he is going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and shall lay his hand on the head of his offering, and slay it before the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar." From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord its fat, the entire fat tail, which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys." Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on its head and slay it before the tent of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From it he shall present his offering as an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. As we began our study of the book of Leviticus, we observed a number of things about the structure of this book. The first half deals with the various sacrifices, such as the peace offering we've just read about, And the ordination of priests, which we will see a little bit later, and it culminates in chapter 16 with a description of the sacrifice of atonement, which takes place on the day of atonement. The second half of the book gives us the consecration of the people of God in their fellowship with the living God. Especially, we focused on chapters 1 through 7, saying that here we have the ritual, voluntary, personal sacrifices described. Five great sacrifices, or offerings, described from two perspectives. First, each of these offerings are described from the perspective of the one performing the offering. The one who is bringing the offering, and the various stipulations that are attendant to those offerings offerings. Then those same five sacrifices that we're now seeing are described again later on from the standpoint of the responsibility of the priest. And so we're going to have an opportunity to revisit each of these sacrifices and see things that have not yet been pointed out to us. We made a point of noting that The very first word in Leviticus is then. And so we're connecting this with what has already happened in regard to the Exodus and then flowing into the ministry of the tabernacle as it has been completed given the instructions which God has provided For not only the construction of the tabernacle, but also the work of the ministry within the tabernacle. And so it goes perfectly, uh, it it flows perfectly, I should say, from Exodus into Leviticus. Last week, we looked at Leviticus chapter 2. And in Leviticus chapter 2, we saw the grain offering described. And in that grain offering, worshippers either cooked or brought uncooked meal as an offering to the Lord. Those ingredients symbolized the provision of God, his blessing upon his people, his provision for their needs. And they excluded certain elements like leaven, we would refer to it probably as yeast, that which would contaminate and represent corruption And so these offerings demonstrate dedication to the Lord, a recognition that God provides the bounty of our lives, and a recognition that as we offer that bounty back, we are depending on the Lord for what he will do in the future in continuing that provision. That, of course, followed the burnt offering in chapter 1, and We noted last week that there's a reason why one follows the other. You've got to come to the Lord for redemption and atonement before you can come to him in thanksgiving. Now the chapter we're looking at this morning is a little bit different. It comes in three parts. If you look at Leviticus chapter 3, it deals with how cattle are to be offered as a part of the fellowship or peace offering. It goes by both of those names. We see that in verses 1 through 5. It comes back again and repeats the same ground, showing how you are to do the peace offering if you use sheep instead of a cow. And then, well, if you don't do it with a cattle or a sheep, here's how you do it if you use a goat. So you've got some options here in regard to the peace offering. And we're going to see the principles behind the peace offering repeated in those three sections of the chapter. And the, the nice thing about that is that it lets you know exactly what God intends you to learn from this sacrifice. Because he repeats it three times. He's a, the Lord is a good teacher. There's repetition. Repetition gets it into our, our minds and our hearts. Well, we've already learned A number of spiritual lessons from the book of Leviticus. We've been reminded again and again in the very detailed instructions that God gives in regard to these sacrifices that God cares about how we worship him. You can't just worship God any old way. You can't make your own decisions concerning how God is to be worshipped. He cares about how he's worshipped and he makes that very clear We were reminded of the truth that in true worship there is always voluntary, personal, and spontaneous um, uh, aspects to this worship. True worship is voluntary. It is something that we desire to do, that we are willing to do, that we long to do, that we delight to do. It's also personal. It is in the context of the gathering of God's people, but it engages the hearts of each one of God's people as we, as individual children of God, enter into that worship. It's also spontaneous. You see it in these sacrifices. They are not the sacrifices of mandated festivals described elsewhere in the books of Moses. They are sacrifices which the worshiper is given the privilege of bringing when he desires and when he senses the need. There may be an instance in life that prompts a worshiper to want to come and to bring a fellowship offering or the peace offering. He's not commanded to come and do it at a particular time of the year, as is the case with the feasts. He simply longs to do it. Perhaps he's been caught in sin and now God has delivered him from that sin. He has confessed and repented and God has forgiven and now he's coming to the Lord because that relationship which had been damaged has been healed. And so he brings the peace offering because he recognizes now that there is once again peace between him and his God. Well, we have no problem seeing these things in New Testament worship as well, but we do see it here in in Old Testament worship. It's built right into it. The heart must be engaged in worship or it is not true worship. The heart must be willing or it is not true worship. We've also learned from Leviticus 1 and 2 that the Lord accepts and communes with those who come into his presence through the death of the atoning sacrifice. That's why we said that atoning sacrifice, that burnt offering, comes first. And this is vital to the whole Levitical system, and of course it points forward to a tremendously important New Testament truth. There is no way to come to God except through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That which we will be commemorating as we gather around the table in a short while. We also saw, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that every sacrifice should cost the offerer something. In Leviticus 1, the burnt offering could be offered with various types of animals or birds as the thing that was being sacrificed. Some of those would have been quite expensive, and it would have been expected that those who were wealthy would use those kinds of sacrifices. Bringing a bull, for instance... But the poor may only be able to bring birds. God accommodates that. But whatever it is, whether it's a bull or a bird, it's got to cost something. It's got to be a sacrifice. Likewise, when we saw the grain offering last week, if you couldn't afford to pour frankincense over the grain offering, you could take your grain, you could form it into cakes, and then cook it, and then offer those to the Lord. And so the principle is established that every sacrifice should cost the offerer something, and this constantly reminded the people of God of the costliness of fellowship. With God. Ultimately, it would point to the cost God Himself would bear for us as He sacrificed His own Son for us. We also learned last week that these sacrifices, these offerings, are acts of dedication. We are acknowledging God for who He is, Lord over all. These grain offerings we saw in chapter 2 are called memorials. They cause us to remember that God has giving, given us something. This is what God has done with the Lord's table. He has made it a memorial. He has, he has, he has said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance. And so in acknowledging God as Lord over all, and acknowledging God's kind provision, the worshiper is dedicating himself to the Lord. And he is acknowledging all of these things. Now the peace offering is taking us down another step. number of things I want you to see today from our study of Leviticus chapter 3. And the first thing I want you to see is this. God makes it clear in Leviticus 3 that our fellowship with God, our communion with God, our peace with God is experienced only by the shedding of the blood of the perfect substitutionary sacrifice. This again is another blood sacrifice. Look at what we read in verses 1 and 2. If, this, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings... If he is going to offer out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. The peace offering is an offering that is given to the Lord in thanksgiving for the peace that exists between the worshiper and his God. When there has been some estrangement that has now been healed, one would bring a peace offering. The fellowship offering would follow that uh, offering for atonement as an expression of thanksgiving that the relationship between the worshiper and God had been healed. And so this fellowship offering typically followed another offering. There would first be that burnt offering we saw in chapter 1. And then because that burnt offering, the offering of atonement, provided reconciliation with God, the worshiper, out of gratitude for God for the forgiveness which has been bestowed upon him, would bring this second offering to acknowledge that there is now peace. If you look at verses 1 and 2, also verses 6 through 8, and verses 12 through 13, that same principle is repeated. All of the effects of the atoning substitutionary sacrifice tell the worshiper that he or she is at peace with God again. And so the worshiper is being taught, even in the offering of the sacrifice, that communion with God is experienced by us sinners, only through the shed blood of a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. And it's certainly not difficult to trace this idea into the New Testament, where reconciliation is spoken of so much, that through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, we can be reconciled to God. And that the gospel, which we proclaim, we proclaim as, Paul says, ambassadors of reconciliation. It's through Jesus Christ that we have peace with God. What we also see here in verses 3 and 4. That fellowship or communion with God, peace with God, involves surrender to God as well as a testimony to his mercy. We read from the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Now what's being said there is that a specific part of this animal that is being sacrificed is to be given wholly and only to the Lord. Part of this animal will be given to the priest. Part of it is given as food, as a kind of method of supporting those who are doing the work of God in the tabernacle. Part of this animal will be given back to the one who brought the sacrifice to eat in the communion of saints at the tabernacle on the day that the offering is being made. But part of the sacrifice is to be only given to the Lord. It belongs to God alone. And this, in and of itself, reminds the worshiper that there are some things that are to be surrendered to God Some things that belong to Him alone, and that in and of itself points us to the importance of surrendering our whole lives to Him and giving Him the best of ourselves. We are not our own, we have been bought with a price. All these parts that are given to God are the inward parts of the animal. Now for most of us who just go to the grocery store and you know we throw things into our cart. And it's already nicely packaged and, and clean. We're not used to this kind of thing. Right? We're not used to butchery. Right? I would cut open an animal I wouldn't know where some of these things are. But they did. And we're talking here about the innermost part of the animal. And to get at them, it required the killing of the animal. You couldn't get to any of these parts without the sacrifice of the animal. But once the animal was sacrificed, these inmost parts are reserved from the Lord. That's why you have this statement in verse 17 that it is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. Now, that's not an absolute statement. That's talking about the sacrifice. When you're bringing a sacrifice, the the fat and the blood is not for you. That belongs to the Lord. It is, in essence, a communion meal. Why do we call the Lord's table communion? Right. Yeah, one of the reasons is because we commune with one another. We are brothers and sisters, and we remember together in a corporate sense what Christ has done for all of us, but we're also communing with God. Peace has been accomplished for us. We are no longer at enmity with God. There is communion between us. This is going to be elaborated on much more when we see this from the perspective of the priests later on as we look at it again in chapter 7. But what's happening here is that the part of the animal is offered up to God as a burnt offering. Part of it is given to the priests to eat. The rest is part of a great feast, a party, if you will, which is commanded of God to be held on the day that the sacrifice is offered with the rest of those of his people who are gathered there at the tent of meeting. That's something that we need to see here. When someone determines to come and bring this sacrifice, it's not only about the peace that they have with God. It's also about the peace that they have with the people of God. And they know when they get up in the morning, having planned to go and offer this sacrifice, they know how the day is going to end. There's going to be a big party with everybody else who happened to come that day to offer the same sacrifice. So the worshiper learns that worshiping God means surrendering to him. But it also reminds him that he is not isolated. He is a part of the people of God. So this offering involves a testimony of, Thanksgiving as well. While the offering is being made, before the communal meal is partaken of, the worshiper would often give testimony in the midst of the people of God as to how God has restored him to fellowship. We heard that this morning. As we heard from the baptistry, what God had done in bringing Maria and Chris to an understanding of where they stood with him. And it wasn't a good place. But God brought them to that place where through Jesus Christ they would be reconciled to him. And praise God, we got to rejoice with them in what God has done. Even as we rejoice over what God has done for us as well. We see an example of the testimony in Psalm 107, in Psalm 107, uh, particularly in verse uh, 22, we read this. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. And that's great. It's better when you see how the psalmist got there. Just go back a few verses to verse 17. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them. From their destruction, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. You know one person in the Old Testament who did this? Her name was Hannah. You remember Hannah. She was a barren woman. She had no child. She longed for a child. And finally the Lord gave her a child, Samuel. And she devoted him to the service of the Lord. You remember what the scripture tells us she did. When she had Samuel, she came to the temple with a fellowship offering for the Lord. The peace offering. She brought three animals from her herd. She must have had a very wealthy husband. Three animals from the herd, an ephah of flour. She brought an extravagant peace offering and grain offering, and she poured it out before the Lord. And then what did she do? She gave testimony that the Lord had answered her prayers and had shown her favor. And She had come to declare that she was at peace with her God. And her words would become the foundation for the words of Mary when she gave thanks and called upon, and and the Lord that, that when she gave thanks that the Lord had called upon her to be the one to bear the Messiah, the one who would save the world. That came from a thank offering, from a peace offering. But here's another thing I want you to see. And you see this especially in verse 5, 11, 16. The fellowship offering teaches us that God delights in fellowship, in communion with his people. Look at what is said in verse 5. Then Aaron's son shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. An offering by fire, in verse 11 and then in verse 16, also says this is a soothing aroma. That's Moses' way of saying that God delights in the communion, the fellowship, the peace that he shares with his people in this sacrifice. The devout believer sees every gift of God as an occasion to worship him and to commune with him. And to share God's provision, to share their joy with other believers. That's what we find being expressed here as well. We experience peace with God, we experience restored communion with God, we experience fellowship with God today. Not through slaughtering an animal, but through Christ's shed blood. Which enables us, by faith, to be justified before God. To be reconciled to him. To be adopted as his child. To no longer be at enmity with him. This is the New Testament truth. This is what we find, for instance... In Romans chapter 5, this is where Paul lays this out before us, and surely he had these sacrifices in mind. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. What is Paul telling us there? He's telling us that the peace offering of the Old Testament was simply a foreshadowing of that ultimate peace offering, which would come in Jesus Christ. His atoning work established the grounds for peace between an offended, holy, but loving God and his sinful, but contrite people. Jesus' sacrifice of atonement is our only basis for peace with God. And so, having been justified, Paul can say, we now have peace with God. That sin which separated us from God, is under the blood of Christ. We have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and so there is no more obstacle standing between us and God. We have been reconciled to him, and we are at peace. Paul, there in Romans 5, is pointing us back to this, to Leviticus 3, and is showing us the fulfillment of the peace offering in Jesus Christ. And that, of course, teaches us another New Testament truth from Leviticus 3, and that is the New Testament counterpart to the fellowship meal, or the peace offering, which is found in the Lord's Supper. Like the Old Testament sacrifice, this represents the true atoning sacrifice. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 3, we're looking forward to what Jesus would do. To the reality, the ultimate sacrifice, which would accomplish reconciliation. The Lord's table calls us to look back. To that same event, we look back from our perspective to that ultimate sacrifice which was accomplished in Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says at the Lord's Supper. This is my body. This is my blood. He says the constituent parts of the Lord's Supper represent himself as a sacrifice offered to the Lord. As the Old Testament fellowship offering entailed eating a sacrifice that pointed to the atoning work of God so the Lord's Supper entails eating elements which point to the reality of Jesus' shed blood which is the fulfillment of that peace offering. And so it's true that the Passover meal points to the reality of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament but so does the peace offering. And that's why it's so beautiful that the Lord has worked it out, that we're dealing with these things all together today. Amen. Baptism, new members joining us, Leviticus 3 and the peace offering, and, and now the Lord's table, all reminding us that God is good. And that our reconciliation with him is not our doing, it's his doing from first to last. Are you at peace with God? I hope you are. If you have any question, I want you to know this morning that you can have peace with God, but it only comes one way, and that is through repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ And the sacrifice of himself which he offered on the cross. That which this table symbolizes this morning. It is only through faith in him. Not your own works. Not your own perceived righteousness. Nothing in you. Jesus did it all. Come to Christ this morning. And you will have peace with God. Father, thank you for this. We are so grateful for it. We thank you, Father, that you are the one who accomplishes redemption and reconciliation. Thank you, Father, that you are gracious and merciful. As we come to the table, Father, may we remember together as your people, as your body, may we remember all that Christ has accomplished for us. And may he be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.